Today I have special guest Carolyn Campbell. A little bit about Carolyn before we start. Since 1999, Carolyn has helped thousands of entrepreneurs, business owners, and change makers grow successful businesses and lead innovative organizations. As an introvert, she loves making and creating business and understands the challenges of business owners who love their work but hate to sell. Her relationship-based approach goes beyond traditional networking and marketing to help you grow a thriving, purpose-centered vision. Carolyn has spoken internationally, worked in Southern Africa and Malaysia, and collaborated as an artist on an award-winning projects in schools, jails, and boardrooms throughout the country. She knows what it takes to have a dream and make it work, and she believes that the more we dare to be fully us, the more success we will achieve. For the past two years, Carolyn has traveled to rural communities throughout America where she lets everybody be their full selves. So welcome, Carolyn. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I forgot to also add that Carolyn was my first coach several years ago. So you may sense a level of familiarity there. And who knows? We may talk about coaching, but we're going to talk about a lot of other things instead today. So Carolyn, tell us what you are up to as you are going to these rural communities and helping people be their full selves. Great. Well, first, what I'd love to say is um, when I go to these rural communities, instead of helping them, I just listen to people and talk to people. So um, I've recently had a lot of people ask me how I'm helping people. And my response is, I'm not. I'm learning. So um, that's really what's been amazing is to be able to see what's going on in rural America that we rarely get a chance to see. And so that's what I've been doing. And how did this all start? So, boy, if we rewind the clock to um, maybe what, when were the primaries, John, two years ago? Yes. A little bit more? Yeah. So I work with a vast selection of people and I do community dinners where I bring leaders together from different arenas to meet each other, like um, for-profit leaders and nonprofit leaders, or just a, a mix of people. And um, right around the election time, I wanted to have a community dinner to bring together friends and clients that live on the spectrum of uh, liberal to conservative diversity issues. And so I was going to have a dinner, and that dinner did not happen. So I... Why didn't it happen? <laughs> well, uh, honestly, the dinner didn't happen because all oh, the conservative friends and clients I had um, were interested in having a conversation. And it wasn't a political dinner. It's just like conservative views, right? Like conservative social views, com conservative personal views. And then um, the liberal community, and this is in Portland, Oregon, which is amazing to me, all said, no way. They weren't going to come. So it was the first dinner in, uh, I don't know, 15 years, John, that didn't happen. Wow. And uh, yeah, it still makes me sad, actually. So I had to get over my own sorrow that I live in a liberal community. I see myself as a as a person with both liberal and conservative points of view. And it hurt that we couldn't have a conversation. So I decided in my own way, um, this is the coaching side of me, is, well, then I'm going to go out and listen to other people and watch and see what I can learn. So that's how it started. 
that's why it started. So you're just going to go out and watch and learn and how did you plan for this? How did you know that you could afford it? How did you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, did you have sponsors? Like, how does this work? How does this happen? So just remember that passage that you read, right? Carolyn believes if you're your full authentic self, right? And so I started by, I didn't want to choose the places where I went because then it would be my agenda. And if we look at a large coaching perspective is that um, coaching is all about connecting without an agenda for others. So finding out what that is. And so I didn't want to have an agenda. I didn't want to have the plan. I wanted other people to make it a community-driven project to tell me where to go. So I first started talking to adults in Portland, but they couldn't get over politics. And this wasn't a political trip. It's really looking at the Like, where are we socially today? Like, that's most exciting to me is like, why do we have such a divide? What's going on to get us there? How long has it been there? So at the end of the day, I worked with high school students and they sent me anywhere they wanted to in America, as long as they could determine um, the reason why it was important. Then they told me questions to ask people. And then they told me the type of people they wanted me to interview. So I Literally, John, I went blindly into uh, communities. And then uh, maybe about three weeks before it began, I started a self-funding campaign. So until three weeks before I started, I really didn't know how I was going to afford it, <laughs> to when, be really honest. Yeah. When you say socially, what, what exactly does that mean? I'm going to put some of this in coaching context, if that's okay. Like in our life as coaches, people come to us because they're struggling with their business or they're struggling with what they want next in their life or they're struggling. Can you think of any other reasons that people come? Um, Not enough time, too stressed out. They're struggling for their leadership. Like there's certain things that they're wanting more of. They're wanting more... um, Typically, it is an economic reason, or in some cases, they want more uh, of an intimacy in their relationships. There can be a lot of reasons, right? And we have the, at least for me, most of my clients are privileged in terms of having financial funds, right? And coaching is spending for a lot of people. So this was, in some ways, the ultimate coaching experience is going out into communities and seeing what are those issues that people are struggling with? Why is there such a divide in our country? Is what the media telling us really, really true? So I wanted to see, and it's the same way when I work with clients before I work with them, and you probably remember this, I have them ask, do interviews of other people about themselves. And then I read those questions. So I get a sense of what's going on in this person's life before beyond what they even know is going on. So in that same way, me going into these communities is starting to see what's going on in America that we're all so confused, right? And we're into our own little bubbles of like getting my family taken care of, getting my economics taken care of, that we can't see the we can't see the implications of larger factors socially, like how are people surviving? What are the economics? Um, is what we think about a place like Mississippi what really goes on in Mississippi? One of the girls' schools sent me to Mississippi, actually, because they wanted to see, since they had never had a female governor or senator at that point, did that 
impact a woman's belief that she could be anything. It's not political, that's social. Like how does having a female in the highest position of an office impact your belief that you can get there? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that definitely clarifies it. So it's three weeks before you're self-funding this thing. Are you driving your car? I know you ended up in a little van. Okay, so I was intending to drive my car. I have a Subaru. I had a Subaru wagon, um, an Outback, and I decided to do a sample talk, like a test talk down in a little community outside of Oregon. Like I wanted to try it all on, right? Like I don't want to hit the road without doing a test run. So I went down to this community and I did a talk at a, um, not, what is it called, John? Uh, Talkmasters, uh, Toastmasters in Silverton. Do you know Toastmasters, John? I do. Okay, so I did a toast great group of people and uh, got some great feedback. And one of the feedback was, Carolyn, you don't want to drive your Subaru to the south. It's like, okay. And you don't want to drive your Subaru to Maine because you're going to be labeled as a Portland sort of liberal. So I was like, oh, that's curious. I never thought Subaru. about that. In a Subaru, right? <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's really curious. And then that night I stayed in a motel. So I just did the whole thing, like what I thought it would be. And I realized, A, staying in hotels would not only be expensive, but changing hotels like every night or every three nights would no, be thank you. so horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, it's a great test run. And I came back. And I thought, no, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. So the very next morning, I went to go get coffee in my neighborhood, which is in Northeast Portland. I came out of my driveway, and across the street was this van. So I'm going to back up about one day. As I came back from Silverton, I stopped at the 24-hour fitness, was doing a workout, called my this guy I know who helps people um, find cars. And he told me how to find a van really quickly and that maybe I could convert it really quick. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a lot to do in two weeks. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like money <laughs> and it's trying to add up like, this is a big project. Like how much do I believe in that thing on my website? <laughs> so that next morning, I went out of my driveway to go get a cup of coffee and across the street was this interesting looking van and the back doors were open. And I knew it didn't belong to any of my neighbors because, you know, you know whose cars are your neighbor's cars, but it looked like it had a bed in the back. So I thought, oh, I should go check that out because I didn't see one like that. So I looked at it and it was not just kind of like what I wanted. It was what I wanted. And I looked and I mean, it, John, it was what I wanted. <laughs> it was exactly what I wanted. It had um, a bed, a refrigerator, a sink. It had lights. It had USB ports. It had a a battery. It had a solar panel. Like I could live in this and it was 12 feet long. So it was perfect. And so I thought, this is great. This is what I want. And I talked to the woman who happened to be there. She had the doors open. She's there. It turns out this man in Seattle had just started this company and he was having her drive it around Portland this weekend. It was so (laughs) random. Or not. Or not, right? But I just wanted your audience to know it didn't come from my neighborhood. It came from four hours away from here. It was only here for the weekend, and it was literally 20 feet from my door. Amazing. So that's what you got? Well, I was doing a photographic show, and I had to go get frames made. So I went to my frame shop, and she gave me the card for the owner, and I called him. 
And I told him what I was doing. He was like, Carolyn, this is so cool. So he became my sponsor for my ride. So all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm no longer, this is in 24 hours. But this uh, doesn't surprise me at all. No. Like, this is, <laughs> this is what is so, I just love about you. Like, I know it makes me think of one of our coaching things where we were looking at jobs and you were like, let's just call this place right now. And you got on the phone and I was just, it was just hilarious. You just got in there. You're like, what's the position? Who's the report to? What's going on? You just dug, dug, dug. Like, all right, that's how it's done. So I can totally see this happening. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I talk a lot in coaching and I have a more and more of a word for it, and it's what I did in Amer- in this trip that I then called going rural, was stranger talking. Like, what if we really just did stranger talking? We talked to strangers. Our world would be a better place. I just guarantee our world would be a better place. So that morning I went out, I saw the van. I liked it. I saw Ilsa. I didn't know her. I talked to her. We talked for a little while. We talked about the trip. I then went, called Zach, Zach Yeager from Cascade Campers, amazing guy. And I had my ride, which all of a sudden substantially helped, right? Like I didn't have to worry about my hotel rooms anymore. Mm -hmm. I could then, my quick earnings didn't need to be as big. So two weeks later, I was on the road and headed to... um, where was my first? I headed to Montana first. So that first trip got me into rural America, especially um, I went to a reservation up in Montana. That was a powerful, powerful visit. Um, and then I went to Mississippi and I expected to spend five days there and I spent five weeks there. Wow. What'd you yeah. learn there? Yeah, that's a really good question, John. It's sort of... Um, for those people, you can't see me because I'm on a mic, but I get like I'm a teary person when things <laughs> well up. So this always makes me cry, this next part. So Mississippi is a very judged state. And one of the reasons I took this first trip was to challenge my own judgments about things. And so I had my own judgments about Mississippi. I have to say I had them. And um So I didn't go to all these places with like this sort of free love, everybody's cool, isn't our world beautiful perspective. It was more like, how do I challenge my own assumptions? And can I sit with people who I think are fundamentally different than me? And I think we need to do that more in our world. And that's what coaching teaches us to do, in my mind. It teaches us how to really sit and be with and listen to and then hear at even a deeper level what's going on. So my first morning in Mississippi, I walked into a coffee shop uh, when I didn't drink coffee before this trip and I now drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Days are often about 16 hours long because you're either driving or uh, negotiating where you're going next. I do this solo. So I'm not having a navigator. I'm putting together, I'm taking photographs. I'm trying to put together an Instagram. There's just a lot that goes on. And then I, you know, breathe deeper into my like why I'm really their place and um, stepped into this lovely coffee shop and um, strangers in small towns are noticed always. You don't think you are. You think you're just getting a cup of coffee, but you stand out no matter what you wear. And so this group of men um, asked me over to their table and um, they talked to me for a little bit. And then as I was about to leave, uh, one of the men said to me, well, Carolyn, uh, 
if you're here to judge, you won't last a day. But if you're here to listen, we'll tell you everything you want to know. I just kind of like, whoa. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm meaning to do. Am I doing that? So I did. And I still do. And so it's now been, um, that was uh, three weeks into my first trip. And it's now been a year. And I can honestly say I've sat with people I never thought I'd sit with. Um, And almost always, I don't necessarily agree with them. And sometimes I very much don't agree with them. And the other rule that I had for myself is I'll never debate with you. You know, like I'll never just, I'll actually never disagree with you. I'll just ask more questions. And I always find that underneath and underneath, there's a fear that's initiating all those levels of, um, what do we call them in coaching, John? All those levels. The the levels of listening? No, like typically when people have beliefs, right? Those beliefs are typically not innately of their being, Those beliefs are shaped because of things that have happened in their lives or things that have happened, historical trauma, things that happened to their grandparents, right? Uh, Versus consciously chosen. Versus consciously chosen. At some point, we're consciously choosing, we think, right? (laughs) Yeah, I love that. We think, yeah. We think, but then if we start to investigate, you know, or um, the Quakers have a great term of doing like conscious looking investigation, we might find that there's um, some fractures in our belief system that maybe we need to go like, but how does that really look today? How can we change that? Or do our beliefs contradict each other? And they often do, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) So this idea of, of stranger talking, what are the aspects of stranger talking and how would, how would I start practicing it today if I wanted to? Like on a everyday level? Yeah, like, I don't know, when I go to the store today, after I get done talking to you, like, what would it look like to practice this? To do stranger talking. Yeah. Um, is there, so we're going to go right there with you, okay? How about that? Go. Okay. Like, let's imagine that you could ask, you could walk down the street and you could ask anybody anything. Like, be really sincere and like, today, what would you want to know? Maybe, maybe... I don't, well, like what's on your mind? What's stressing you out? What's, um, how are, like, I think I would be curious, like, how are you, but not in a throwaway, how are you? Like we say to people, but like, how are you really? Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking, yeah, like I'm, well, so I like, I like shopping at the neighborhood Winco, which is for those (laughs) not in this area is not exactly your upscale grocery store. And there's, there's a different group of folks in that store, including myself. Uh, so I could, I guess I could envision like the person ahead of me in line being very different than me and just being really curious, like, like, how are you today? Like, how are you really today? Yep. Yeah. And thinking about Winco, there's that other one, John, that's, um, over in our area. It's not Winco. It's like, um, but it's the same kind of what these are. Are there stores where, how do you describe them? We have them all over the country, but they're by different names. You're buying in bulk, kind of like Costco, but you bag your own groceries. Sometimes they don't have bags. They just have boxes. 
yeah, and it's discounted. It's not where you're going to find. You can find some organic food there, but you're. It's for. It's kind of like the Walmart of grocery stores. <laughs> it, is, it is, and it, and I have to say, because Walmart is so pervasive throughout the country, because many towns they don't have any other grocery stores. That's what they have. If you are a Walmart shopper, then what you'll want to do is come down two steps, and you'll be at Winco. Really. In- Wow. Okay. When you're in rural communities. Oh, when you're. You <laughs> oh, I thought you were telling people how I grocery shop. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you know, Winco isn't quite as as fancy as Walmart. No. No. Okay. Fair enough. You have to come down a couple steps. Okay. And again, um, I shop at the one near here. It's great for canned foods. Sometimes it's great for produce, right? And what I love about this conversation we're having right now, John, is what we're saying here is that you're shopping in a store of diverse class. Yes. Yeah. You just articulated. I didn't know how to say that in a way that was, yeah. Yeah. So you're shopping in a store of diverse class. And in our country, it's so funny. That's almost a really, that's the, that's what is, it's not a dirty word, but it's like, we really shouldn't talk about that one. Like, don't talk about class. So you've named Although some people would say I don't have class because I like to shop there. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's a dirty word, right? You're like you're you're it's a judgment word. No, it totally is. It totally is. Oh, and, you shop there. Ooh, wow. Ooh. And we don't we'll talk a lot about different types of diversity in America, but class diversity, we won't talk about that so much. So we're gonna go right to Winco with you. Good. Okay? okay. Because I um when you're in rural America, that's where you shop are places like Winco. And so one of the ways that I might stranger talk, because again, in those levels of listening that we talk about in coaching is just sort of like a level one is just a, it, my, my belief systems are impacting what I'm going to ask you. And a lot of the reasons we don't do stranger talking is because we're like, oh, we've been told by our parents, you don't talk to strangers. Yeah. I also like to say it's uh, at level one, it's, it's what is what you have to say? How does it relate to me? How does it relate to me? Or how, yes, it's all and, about and, me. Even though I'm talking to you and curious about you, I, it's really all about me. About That's me. level one. <laughs> Although I pretend to be curious about yes. you, it's really all yeah, about it's, me. I'm listening, I'm listening through the filter of how does this affect me or what do I think about what you have to say? Like, yes. And then, so a lot of times we don't ask people questions because we think either that or we know, like, <laughs> we know or we don't. We don't want to ask because we really don't know, and we don't want to get our mind in a situation where we don't know because it's really about us, and then we're going to have to be with the other person. So It'd be really uncomfortable. It'd be really uncomfortable, and then we don't want to make that person uncomfortable. We don't want to be – so there's all these ways. So in Winco, we're going to say right there is one of the ways that I might ask somebody is um, I think of um, somebody that I saw in a place like Winco buying – they were buying little baby white marshmallows. And they were buying like cans of uh, fruit, fruit, you know, like that mixed fruit. And they were buying. um, We've had this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then they had lots of hot dogs, but no buns. And I thought, well, that's really curious. Like clearly there's a party, but why are there no buns? So I said to that person, I said, are you making that cool marshmallow fruit salad? They went, yeah, I am. (laughs) I said, wow, but hot dogs and no buns. What's up with that? And the person said, well, my mother's taking care of the buns because that's all she can afford. And she really, it makes her feel important. Oh. Mm. 
I didn't have to ask her to that level three question, which the next level is you hear what they say and you respond back. And then level three is just like feeling that whole 360 and listening from that level. And sometimes like stranger talking for me is about not going to the deep, deep, deep place first necessarily, sort of like when you go out on a date, right? You're not going to ask what happened to that child, that that woman or that man as a child in the first two minutes. Right. <laughs> You're going to wait till dessert. So, um, in the same way, stranger talking is really thinking about like, and I do think people from rural communities are going to be the ones who change our world because they're brought up knowing that they talk to their neighbor, no matter who their neighbor is, they ask you how you're doing every day. So that person, when I went into the cafe, he called me over to his group. You'd never see that happen in downtown Portland. No, that would be weird. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But he started I'm, – I'm like, but he started, John. He, he, <laughs> he started the stranger talking, literally. He's like, there's a stranger in our town as a group. I'm sort of right now the, the de facto leader of finding out who she is. I'm going to find out who she is and what she's doing here. That's so fascinating. No, and I can totally picture this because – Many years ago, my wife and I drove across rural Canada, like way, way up north, like Edmonton, like way up there. And we went into an A&W root beer on like a Sunday night at 5 p.m. And we walked in the doors and every single person in there looked at us. It was the strangest thing. And there were these guys, you know, sitting around in circles. Of t- and I, so I can totally see it. It was, yeah, it was just like we left and we said, well, it's really clear we are not from here. It's <laughs> And it, yeah, it's really clear. And for me... um, it gave me the liberty in a case like that of A&W because um, Canada loves their A&W. Um, they really love their A&W. It's interesting. But um, is that if somebody looks at me in rural America, I can take a step toward them and say, hey, I'm from Oregon. It's like this unspoken agreement that you're a stranger. Somebody's got to break the talk. So is it going to be you or me? Hmm. And we don't know that until we've traveled enough that, all right. That's the rule here. So you would take the lead? Sometimes. Yeah, I would just um, – so here in town, I'm very much um, – trying to think of an example. Um, one of my clients um, has a company. Right now, this is a real story. Has a company. And he is challenged in some leadership issues. Let's just leave it at that. And he, um, they write about different things. And so I had given him a stranger talking assignment where he was to talk to two strangers a day about a question that he had. Absolute strangers, wherever he was, didn't matter. And he only had five minutes to do it. It changed his life. He was like, whoa, I've got a, so he had a reason. He had a question that he wanted to know, which is always helpful. So when I'm in rural America and I'll be really candid, like I am here because high school students sent me to find out what's really going on in communities here. Can I talk to you? (laughs) You say high school students (laughs) sent you, everybody opens their doors. (laughs) So we are in a world where we've started, this gets back to the social question, right? The whole way that we've developed as rural, then city, then suburban, as soon as we, and there's a new movement afoot to how to help communities, suburban communities, city communities, rural communities have more walkability, have them 
interact more, right? So over the last number of decades, we've created communities and therefore people who then raise other people that we live more in an insular life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so this project was about um, de, this is a made up word, de-insulating myself from the world to find out is the world as divided as people say it is, or what are the issues that got us here? So I was able to, I never, ever debated anybody, ever. And I was able to get to some pretty intense conversations. Um, And we both knew how we both stood but we did it with ultimate respect and a change of mind in certain areas. Let me give you an example. Yeah. And I, and I guess as you were saying that I was also thinking, and what was the goal in the, I guess what's so unusual about what you're doing too is what I understand. I'm going to answer my own question and you can clarify uh-huh. from there, but it's in other words, you were listening to listen. You weren't listening for an outcome per se. You weren't listening so that you could really understand what their problem was so you could help them solve it. Mm -mm. You were simply listening to understand where they were coming from. And I wasn't even that, but that's, that's true. And there's something else. So I'm going to get back to the, before we even had our call today. So, um, I sent you a message and I said, Hey John, this is what I'm thinking about. Like, is this okay to talk about? And you're like, Carolyn, we're going to just dance in the moment. We're just going to see what we find out together. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like you said to me, let's let's just dance in the moment. That's a coaching term, everybody. Let's dance in the moment. We're not, John and I aren't literally dancing. We're, <laughs> we're letting this conversation go where it wants to go and seeing what... Um, I like to say show up fully present to whatever is there, even if it scares you to death. Like you're just there. You are fully present with it. So here's great, and this is the this is the answer to that question. This is the first time I have an answer to that question. I decided I'm going to show up. Fu- uh, what did you say? I'm going to show up fully, fully for whatever present. is. Pr- I'm going to be fully present to whatever is in front of me. I'm going to be fully present to whatever is in front of me, knowing That's that I can I'm, handle it, knowing, knowing that that, that I may not. or may not be able to handle <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to show up fully present to whatever's in front of me. And you keep on asking me, which is great. So what, right? So what? So if you follow up, show up fully present, so what? Okay. So that I can find out what is really going on presently in America. So the only way I can find out what is really going on presently in America is to show up <laughs> to all that is mm-hmm. presently. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. We are relying, and this is where you and I might be a disagreement, but we'll see. We are relying on a third party to tell us what's going on in America. No, I was just, I was thinking that exact same thing. I was like, yeah, so instead of reading seven different websites with, and sometimes I try to do that and it drives my, I drive myself crazy and I get really depressed. Like you're actually going out there to find out what's going on. <laughs> absolutely. And um, absolutely. And this next trip that I'm doing is I want to do that and then have recordings of what's going on. So people can literally listen to people of what's going on. And um, 
the other night, because I remember way back and I couldn't remember what year it was. So I went online the other night because, you know, Conan O'Brien is mm-hmm. a late night talk show host. Yeah. Uh, this was way back, like in 11 or 13. He did this experiment and he sent out this press release about something. And then he put clips of every news station and how basically they all use different inflections like they made it up, but it was his exact words. So when we, <laughs> and this was so now we're calling it fake news and like it just started happening, right? But I'll send you this clip because it's kind of cool to see. It hasn't just started happening. It's how we've always gotten our news. So it's not necessarily even things like I'm saying things are more biased, right? It's how we've gotten our news. But now we seem to be living in, in two different camps. And in coaching, what we'll say, and you can help me clarify this because you're one of the core things of coaching, and I think coaching does brilliantly, and this trip is about, is what this trip is about, what coaching is about, is naming. Everything we do, John, is about naming, naming what you want, naming that distinction between a belief and a truth, right? Like we're always naming and naming and naming. Does that feel true? Yeah, and sometimes naming reality for other people. Sometimes. I was having a conversation with some of the coach the other day, and he was naming something in my reality, and I was like, ouch. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, I have this made-up story that this is really fine, but I've got this huge gap I need to fill somehow. And it was, so it was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I was, and I, yeah, and I think that as a coach, again, it's like, what, how did you, how do you say show up? Show up Uh, fully present. Without what's judgment. there. Yeah, without judgment. Just with without no, an and no attachment and no agenda. And no attachment yeah. and no agenda. So that's like, I realized on this trip, every skill of a coach was like so perfect for this trip. So, for example, when your friend said that thing, right? If that person named it to you and you didn't believe it was true, you have an opportunity to say, no, it's not quite that way. It's like this over here. We lost our industry and we have no income. It isn't that we want to be on welfare. There's no industry to be had. Oh, okay. Tell me about the industry that's not here. So when they would tell me this and they'd talk about it like it happened like four days ago or three years ago, and I'd say, when did your industry leave? They'd say 1985. And I'm like, in my mind, then judgment comes up again, right? 85. And then my math is really bad. How many, that seems like a long time ago. But then you ask another question. So since 1985, your community hasn't had any industry? No. Wow. How have you survived? Do you see how that stranger talking? Yeah, and that's just curiosity. It's not like, That's well, tell me, a, talking is. <laughs> tell me a little bit more so I can then solve your problem. It's just, you're deeply curious about their situation. Yeah. And the other thing, which is, that's a great, because it came up a few times here in a great way and in town has come up is one of the things, um, these poor, um, states have happened is, um, everybody comes in to save them and it isn't, uh, Again, this is a social, not religious, not political. doesn't matter. United Way comes in. Christian groups come in. The government comes in. Everybody comes in to save these communities. And they impose what they believe will save this community on this community. And then just like Peace Corps, that happens there too. And that community doesn't get saved. 
So then the organization pulls out and the community is worse off when, when they came or um, what happens in many of the communities I went to is that the agenda has changed. And instead of doing uh, parenting classes, we want you to do nursing training. I mean, literally that different. So places that are poor and have had a lot of people come in and come and leave and come and leave and come and leave and it's gone on for decades and decades. If you use the word help, you will be it's, there's a way uh, people will talk to you for another minute, but you can watch their eyes change. Because help, help is, is kind of it's, meaningless. It, it doesn't it's worse. Work. It will destroy, it hurts. It will, they will, they will be worse off than when that help arrived in many cases. So if you can imagine, literally, you're in a poor community and you've had an agenda to help mothers become better parents, because that was our agenda 10 years ago or 12 years ago, it takes about eight years for people to start to really trust you. So after 10 years and learn those skills, right, then you've got to get another generation. So after 10 years, mothers are starting to come, but the the national agenda is different. We believe that there needs to be more business opportunities, more economic opportunities, which is true, right? Um, but they, so they t extract one and put in the other. It's just a boom. So this place you were at where they hadn't had any industry since the mid 80s. And understanding that your goal is not to go there and fix it. Do you see any hope? Um, I do actually, um, and that's the part that's really cool is there's an organization called Main Street America, and I think it's MainStreet.org, John. And then there's another organization called um, SmallTowns.org. And what's happening that's so incredible is that in these communities, there's a new movement, a revitalization movement going on where they're looking at different ways to develop smaller economies, right, rather than a manufacturing economy. These communities, um, so do you want me to give you another example? Yeah, like what would, oh, I guess what, well, I'm thinking like maker communities or, yeah. Could be um, uh, maker communities. One of the Industries that I think is going to be problematic and is problematic is tourism is an industry, right? So um, some communities have, you'll see, they'll be quaint downtowns and they're now become tourist industries. And the biggest challenge with tourist industries is that these people who used to make, I don't know, I think as manufacturing, they used to make like 30 or $40 an hour. They're now making $9, right? What's the minimum wage nationally now, John, do you know? Mm, I don't know. I want to say 10 something. That could yeah. Be wrong. yeah. So even let's say, let's say they are making 10 something, right? It's like all of a sudden um, their life is not affordable in that way anymore. And so everybody, um, many people leave town, leave town, leave town. 
So they're looking at, communities are looking at how do we, this is a big conversation um, that I just want to dig into. My next trip is what I want to understand. This is a great question and will take me more than just my six months. My first six months was sort of building relationships and building trust. I didn't know I was doing that, but by being curious and building relationships, then people are like, Carolyn, when are you coming back? Right? Oh, great. You want me back? What do you want me to come back and do? Oh, we want to talk to you about blah, blah, blah. Because now what they know is I'm starting to connect people between towns. Like I'm a really good um, web weaver. Mm. Right. And so they're starting to realize she's not going to help us, but she's connected me with this guy who knows how to, he's a developer and his motto is reclaiming my town one building at a time. Oh, he has been one of the sole people responsible for getting his main street back and it's taken him 10 years. So when you reclaim a town, these people, this is, this is how dedicated they are (laughs) that I don't think any city people would be this dedicated is they know it takes 15 to 30 years to reclaim their town. And if I were to ask almost any city person, suburban person, if you thought you couldn't get work for 15 years, would you stay there with your wife and your, no, I'd be gone. You'd be gone. You'd be gone. Right? So what makes these people stay? Interesting question, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I ask them, what makes you stay? Why do you stay? So it starts with talking about the fluffy fruit, fluffy salad, (laughs) right? And it's so funny, I haven't had it for like 30 years. And then I was invited to a um, a Thanksgiving church dinner where there were like five different types of fluffy. John, I went bananas on the fluffy fruit salad. Did they have the did they have the little bowl of mayonnaise in the middle? I don't know because I don't do mayonnaise. But okay. she, had somebody said try it with the mayonnaise, I would have been like, okay, I'll try that. Okay, so they put mayonnaise in the middle. Well, I'm thinking of the one that's like it's like orange Jello with little a little slices of carrot in it. Oh, cool! And then, I've never then, seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> Are they fresh carrots or canned carrots? No, no, they're fresh carrots. They're fresh okay. ca- in Jello. <laughs> that's kind of. A... <laughs> oh, oh, they're fresh carrots in Jello. Yeah. I think there's. So... I think with pineapple, with canned pineapple chunks too. With canned pineapple, and the oranges. Where are they? It's just orange Jello, orange flavor. Oh, it's orange. Jello. It's okay. So it's orange. It's, it's orange. Just going orange. back to my childhood. <laughs> it's orange Jello with orange carrots with mayonnaise in the middle. With a little, you can like add. You can like dip. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Do you miss it? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I mean, I could, are, I'd eat it if it was in front of me, but I don't seek it out. <laughs> are there memories that it conjures? <laughs> oh yeah, family dinners. Family, family dinners. yeah, like there, like more of my grandparents' generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So do you see how we just went from talking about Jello to now we're talking about your family and your grandparents? Oh yes, yeah. That was yeah. Wow. And you don't even know. I mean, like. It isn't, um, it's seamless. It, it, it starts with something as silly as like, if you're curious to know, like who in the world eats orange on orange jello with mayonnaise in the middle? Like my judgment can be like, who would eat that? Yeah. But if I go to the other side and I say, John, tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, that Cause now I'm visualizing it. What kind of carrots is it? You know, like really, 
I couldn't imagine crunchy carrots. I think the soft carrots are better, but it's still. Mm. Right. So you can see how our judgments come all into play, right? But if we get curious, then before we know it, we're talking about your grandma. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's a deep curiosity. It's a deep, it's a deep curiosity, a deep listening. And the other thing that I keep thinking about with this uh, project that I'm doing is um, it's a word that we don't talk enough about in coaching. So we'll kind of look at that is that coaching talks a lot about naming things, um, looking at people through a curious lens, wanting to know what brings aliveness to people. And what brings aliveness to the people that stay in rural communities is a sense of purpose, of not letting their town die. A sense of purpose that we can bring this back. It's the ultimate Americanism of determination. Um, we can do this. And more and more they have. And uh, over the last three years, Main Street has done 1,800 communities across America. 1,800. Wow. Yeah. There are still thousands to do, right? But 1,800. So it's a determination. And one of the things that happens is when we listen, sometimes we can tend to listen through a certain type of lens of our own listening memory. When we see, and I can see that jello, I can walk into the town and I can see, wow, look at all those crumbly buildings can you tell me where there's a place to get a good cup of coffee? Oh, we don't have any in this town. You go to McDonald's. Okay, where's the McDonald's that I go to? So in many of these rural communities, their B&I version, they don't have B&I, it's just a bunch of people hanging out uh, every, every morning. They do it every morning, though. They go to McDonald's. So if you go to McDonald's at 7 a.m. in these rural communities... It's not going to McDonald's to get a happy meal. It's going to McDonald's because that's where all the business leaders hang out. Because everybody wants coffee. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, by asking for a good cup of coffee, I'm sent to McDonald's. Do I want to go to McDonald's? Not so much. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do is I want to find out what's important to people in their communities. What I also, yeah, no, and what I hear under that is that, and I'm curious like what's driving you here too. What I'm hearing about these communities, they're committed. So, so often there, there's this, I, I love this distinction between courage and commitment. So often people think I just need to have more courage and then I can do this thing. But I like to say, no, if you are so committed, if you, when you're committed, you'll do it. You'll like courage isn't really there. You are just so committed to making it happen that you try to fit you you make it happen or you figure out how to make it happen. So what is it do you think That's in a, these communities that these people, like what drives their commitment? That is such a great distinction. And I don't know if you made it up or. No, I stole uh, it from Rick Tamlin. Okay, but <laughs> go Rick. So in many of these communities, courage is not even, that's not even important, right? There is no, there is, there's no, there's no vocabulary for courage. There is, they might even be very uncourageous. There's no courage. It's pure commitment. It's pure, um, I won't let my town die. I'm not going to do it. And it is 100% commitment, dedication. And there's something different than commitment too. It's an, um, determination. Like you can be committed to something without necessarily having the determination 
of knowing what it is that you're wanting to create. So I can be committed to making my business successful. I can be committed. I can be fully committed. But if I don't know what I'm determined to create in that business, I won't have a direction. So what happens, makes sense? Yeah. So what happens in these communities is that there is commitment and determination. So I want to leave that for a moment before we run out of time, because I want to say, go way back to the beginning of why I did this trip and where it started and these people not wanting to have a conversation, is that what happens in these communities? There are many, many ways for many, many decades that issues and people have been ignored. And as we rise... There are many fears that are embedded in all of our communities. We all have fears of other. And I think one of the greatest fear for city people are rural people. And until we start to have communication and connect with rural people to show that every rural person is not what you're seeing on the news, then we have one view of class. We have one view of rural people. We have one view of WinCo. And so my role, if, if, I, if I can do it in the way I want to do it, is to create a place of listening and pictures to show people the people and the places that are both crumbling and the places that are rising. So you've asked me before the so what, and I think that, is that a fair so what? Yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious. What makes you so committed to this? What what drives your determination to, to do, do this? this? Yeah. That dinner. Like I am sick of um you know, I come from a family where my grandfather worked in a stockyard, right? So he's from Kansas City. And had very Kansas City views. I'm of Irish descent, where Irish immigrants during the 1800s were treated horribly, treated horribly, even into the 1920s in Baltimore. Um, Irish people who were renting houses in Baltimore, the landlords would come in and pour cement into the basements because Irish were thought to have so many people, so many children. They just filled the basement with cement. So I come from a lineage. Um, My great-great-great-great-grandmother was actually one of the people hung for being a witch in Salem, Massachusetts. She wasn't a witch, John. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't wondering. I was more thinking, wow. She she wasn't a witch. And she is, oddly, there were like 11 people. They now have this beautiful uh, memorial to these people. Um, And they have their names. They have their dates. Is that... Oddly, out of these 11 or 19, she's one of the few who've been actually exonerated, curiously, and it was a jealous neighbor who uh, turned her in. And so we think of the, so all of this, this information of my, and I didn't know this information about my own past until I took this journey. So sometimes when we're called to do something, I think it's because we're called at a level that we don't know. We're also called at a conscious level when I'm looking at if our country wants to be what our country can be in all its differences, we better get a better understanding of who we think is other. 
and our greatest other right now in my mind from the city view is rural America. And rural America has all the answers, has all the answers we need. So at the end, what I'm going to say is this, is that rural people, um, you'll go into communities and I don't care what your opinion is about anything, you're going to be living next door or across the street from somebody that has a very, very fundamentally different core value set than you. You just are. I can guarantee it. But they've learned how to negotiate that, how to um, live in that, how to live in contradictions. As we get more insular in our own life, we don't know how to live in contradictions. So it is going to be rural leaders who step across literally state lines and take a political stage that start to help us to understand how do we, as uh, and it can be in churches, it can be in communities, anywhere. I do believe they're going to be the ones that help us thread the needle and see where our union is. So that to say, it's uh, my own background. I think as a coach, it's like, wait a second. I had worked with so many people of privilege that can afford it that I was like, okay, where is the next frontier of coaching? And the next frontier of coaching is helping communities heal. And I don't believe enough coaches or coaching programs are doing that. So that's, that's, that's why. And I think that's interesting because you're, maybe that's an ultimate goal, but I don't hear that as your current goal. Um, uh, my current goal um, is to, see here's, they're both, they go on simultaneously, right? You said what makes me the determination is that I always have like four goals going on at the same time. It's like <laughs> the one that's right in front of me, like how do I raise money to get back on the road again, uh-huh. right? How do I find a way to get these voices heard, like through a podcast or a radio? So those are like, those are just the hows, right? And then there's like, okay, in order to get um, coaches invested, they need to know the people, right? So we're not going to invest in helping people. We hate that word, but we're not going to invest in, in, um, what do we use the term? Coaching is not about helping. It's about, um, serving, serving. Um, we're not going to be invested in communities unless we, most people I'm different, right? Uh, Most people aren't going to be invested in being part of something unless it feels safe or unless they get curious. So I'm putting up a picture saying, Hey, get curious about these people, right? The best thing we can do as outsiders for these people is to hear their stories, tell their stories. That's what we can do. We can make them human. We can make them, we can see the, and they're so, the innovation that these towns are doing, they are um, actually, they're some of their, because they're coming out of the ashes and they're redoing their towns, their um, livability factor because they're starting the planning from scratch, is more advanced than Portland in some ways. The way they're designing their sidewalks, the way they're designing the roads, they actually have a new term that we don't even know this term called um, rural urbanism. Hmm. Yes. So it's a new movement. So there's things going on in rural America that the only reason I know is because I talked to 500 leaders through, you know, not leaders like... um, mayors, even though I did that too, but preachers, mayors, business owners, um, nurses, professors, students, mothers, uh, to find out what was really going on. So the only reason I know about this stuff, is not that I'm smart, right? It's that I've been driving 38,000 miles in nine months. 
that was what I was going to ask you is how, okay, so 500 people, 38,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Probably I, I've, I've interviewed 500. I've probably met maybe 2000. So that's one and a half times the circumference of the earth. <laughs> it just hurts my head. <laughs> and you're taking the same van back out on the road? So I'm taking, um, so the first time it was through Zach Cascade campers. And then I came, I was supposed to be gone for three months, came back. I knew I had to, I just, I just, after three months, I just knew something was there. That's all I knew really. It wasn't enough to really know much. I knew that I had to go back. And so the second time I, um, was sponsored by Ram, the truck company, Mm -hmm. they sponsored me. So this time I have and forever. My, I have my forever van, um, <laughs> John, and I, um, sold my Subaru and, uh, converted my van into a solar powered back end. So I have, uh, lights and, uh, bed and refrigerator and sink and, uh, USB ports and plugs. And so you just drive into a city or city, a, a community and you like, do you look for the look like a KOA or like, how do you know where you're going to park it or what are you going to do? <laughs> well, there's two questions there. One is I, um, because, um, other people are always telling me, uh, I never go someplace without somebody telling me where to go. So I never arrive in a town without being told to go there. Okay. So if I don't know where I'm going to go, I will put out a call and I will stay wherever I am until I'm told where to go next. So I never arrive blindly. Other than I don't know, I I don't like I don't uh, Google the community. I don't do anything on that first day. I just kind of um, when I was in Maine, I got my hair cut, and a hairdresser said that her dad was a harbor master, which means that he sort of oversees the harbor, and that there was a community. If I really wanted to know about fishing and lobstermen, I should go to Vinyl Haven. So do you see that? I went to the <laughs> hairdresser. She and she was, uh, I could qualify her in the fact that her dad was a harbor master. She had been raised in that area and she felt, and this time, this day and age, the best place to see about the fishing community would be at Vinyl Haven. So guess where I went? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this, is this the blog post that I read on your site? Yes. Read to- <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell that story and then we should probably wrap up. Yeah. So uh, just to answer your full question, what it will be is somebody will tell me where to go, like Vinyl Haven. And then typically um, I'll say, great, is there anybody there that you think I should talk to? Right. So she's giving me a sense of who's in that community. You should talk to the harbor master. Um, There's a great guy who runs a hotel there. Um, There's a great bakery there that you should go to, Carolyn. And uh, I'm trying to remember what else she sent me to. There was something else. Uh, But just once you get into town... Just start to walk around. Great. But I have at least like, I kind of know, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. A couple places. And um, and then there'll be um, the stealth way I do a town. We won't talk about that here. And then there'll be um, sometimes people were very, very generous and uh, in Vinyl Haven, which they were very, very generous. The Tidewater uh, gave me a place to stay for three nights overlooking the bay with, uh, there's a, a, a stream river kind of thing that runs underneath your room. Is that good or no. bad? <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It was so, like every, it's sort of like here we hear the tide come in. Right? Okay. When okay. The ocean. There you hear the stream next to you or underneath your room. So her great 
her grandmother, great grandmother, they built this hotel. It used to be a movie theater way back in the 40s. And when they built it, they put it on um, piers so that this um, stream river could run underneath it. So it was a big feature back in the day, right? And now her dad was just estate planning, uh, passing it on to her. So she's 30, her dad's 70. What a great story, right? In rural America, they're doing estate planning. Wow. You know, okay. the, you know, the other word that pops in my mind here is, is serendipity. Like, it sounds like there's so much serendipity that happened in this travels, too. And I think that when we, here's the thing, is I think that, yes, it's called serendipity. And then I'm going to say one more thing about it, is that when we marry purpose and vision and curiosity, purpose, vision, and curiosity, we're listening, we're watching right? We're connecting. So when we listen to what is on purpose for us, so I'm sure there were 10 million conversations that that hairdresser and I had, maybe not 10 million, let's say honestly 50 little threads, right? It's like in coaching, we say, go down a tunnel, go down a tunnel. When we go down a tunnel and in coaching, we'll say like, take a perspective that you're working with your client. You, John might take one tunnel. Carolyn Campbell might take another tunnel with a different client. We'd probably both get to the same kind of point at the other end. But we're listening for different things. So is it serendipity when you're listening and looking? No, well, yeah. And I, was, I guess I was thinking more, it's, it's, a more, it's a byproduct. It just, like when you combine those three things, serendipity, it's just going to happen. It's going to not happen. <laughs> How can it not happen? I'm not looking. In the first trip, I, there's a term, there's a great term called... Um, Ruin porn. You ever heard this term? No. So uh, ruin porn means it's photographers who love to photograph things in ruin. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a barn and that's falling over or something like that. Falling over. And it's so, as a photographer, it's so, so um, uh, towns that are crumbly, right? are so attractive at nighttime to photograph because you get this lights and these shafts and these rubble. It's, it's like, whoa. But after you do about 40 of those, you're like, really? This is not cool. This is just depressing, right? So the next trip, what I wanted to do was really look at revitalization. How do they move from crumbly to revitalization? So again, when you're asking what towns are revitalizing, you're being sent, hey, Phil's doing a cool job. Mary's doing a cool job, right? So you're being directed to that focus so that, quote, whatever you look for will show up. So in the second trip, I wasn't looking for crumbly buildings. Mm. They were there, right? And in that conversation, somebody would say, you've got to go see the um, Armstrong Tire Plant. And indeed, it shut down in the 80s. That was one. And they still, John, which is amazing to me, it's all fenced off and it's huge, huge. It takes up maybe like um, uh, 10 city blocks. It's big, um, probably bigger than that. And they have a chain link fence all around it, they have a guard, a security guard, 24-7. That's always there and has been there since the 80s. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Like even, it's like weird, weird. So um, I just want to say, um, why don't we do this? We can send them to my oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> blog and then they can read about the Vinyl Haven. So yes, I yeah. did go out on a, a lobster boat for 16 hours and... I realized when I got in the boat that the way that there were three men and me and the way that you would go to the bathroom, if you needed to go to the bathroom, is you'd just go back to the boat, back of the boat, um, and you'd pee literally on the 
floor of the boat. And then on the floor, there was a little <laughs> cutout where it would go off the deck. And I thought, there's no way that I'm going to pee and I, uh, on the back of this boat. I've never met these men and um, I'm not going to pee. So I didn't for 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is what stood out to me in that blog post. I was like, I don't, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you were I, out with them for 16 hours. That's a long time on a boat. 3 a.m.? Is that 16? 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. 6.30 p.m. It's a long time. That's all I know. Wait, yes. a way long time. So I think that what I want to say is we never want an either or choice. And right now we're living in a world with an either or choice. Uh, we want this or we want that. Uh, we've got liberals. We've got conservatives. We've got uh, hate. We've got love. Anytime you have a duality like that, look for the third place. Oh, yeah. That's a, always, a, red, that's always a, a flashing red light in coaching. I only have two yeah. choices and I can't decide which one to pick. And they both are not very good. Right, oh. that's, like that's the fundamental of coaching. Like look for the third choice, right? Or the fourth or the fifth. fifth like, choice yeah. or the sixth or the seventh. The more choices, you know, until you get 20, you don't want that many. Probably. No. Like it's good, you know, start with like a pie. You know, we actually cut it into eight places. What are the choices? But you want to be in choice versus choosing the least bad option. The, or, or one of two, right? Okay, right so right. right now today, we all live in camps. It's an either or camp. So my purpose of taking this trip was I don't like either of these camps. So I guess that's the bottom line. I don't like either of the camps to live in either one. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. want to live in a new camp. So as I went out, I'm looking at like, okay, who else in the world is living in a new camp? And that I think is the place that these leaders are doing because to build a town, they have to live in contradictions. They have to live determined. They have to live commitment. And they have to look and see how do we build capacity? How do we create, go from not surviving to surviving? There is that process, not surviving, surviving, to then thriving. How do we do that? And in a little town of Leeds, South Dakota, has 3,000 people. The town died in 2001. It was a gold town, gold mining town, died. This woman who runs this cafe, I didn't tell you this before, John, you can look her up. Uh, she runs this cafe and she's a coach. And um, she comes from a really rough background and she's created this program called Superstars, which I did mention when you came to one of my talks. So it's there's a coach that works with international coaches in a 3,000 people town who's come out of a bad background, working in this community, not helping this community, but working together, doing superstars where people come in, they pay $10 for um, a community dinner of soup. And then that night, um, four different or five different people, depending how many people want to pitch an idea to better their town. And whoever wins gets the pot for that night. I love it. So I said to her, because I think it was you, right? Who said, well, what's the criteria? Like how, what happens if they don't follow through? She said, in small town, Carolyn, if people give you money and you don't follow through, <laughs> nobody's going to give you money again. 
<laughs> no, I was just, it was so funny. We should probably wrap up here. It was so I was just giving a, a client a potential negative reward the other day, and which I completely got from you. Mm. It was like, yeah, if you don't do this by Friday, will you send $100 to this, you know, <laughs> this organization that you utterly despise? It's like, well, it's ooh. consequences, yeah, right? Yeah, it's real. It's not, it makes not, it real. Not, and it's not even... Uh, yeah, long, long. We could go on forever. But yeah, it, the consequences is not punishment. But the consequences of this act is that if you don't take care of this thing you're going to do, yeah. other people that care more about this negative thing are already taking care of it. How much do you care about this thing? And so I guess I would like to end with saying, how much do we care? Because that's the final part is we have to be able to go with curiosity. We have to be able to listen. We have to be able to literally see what's going on. And then the fourth thing, and that's where we can end, is how much do we care? And we have to, if we want our world to change, and I don't know how much we really do. I know I do. If we want our world to change, we have to care enough. We have to be committed enough. We have to be determined enough. We have to persevere enough that for some reason, somehow, and I do not know how in this very moment, John, and I'm saying it to you out loud, I'm leaving at the end of January. I don't know how I'm funding this one. I it, It's still not coming to me. So that is, it's not courage. It's like, I don't, at some point you make a choice and that is your choice. Mm -hmm. So my choice is to care enough to somehow figure out how to tell these stories that I get people invested enough to realize that rural doesn't mean horrible. There you have it. I love it. Now, where can people go to read about all your past travels, learn about your new ones, get on your mailing list, all that good stuff? They can go to, uh, it's very easy, lookingforamerica.today. So it's a new URL today. So it's lookingforamerica.today. And they can subscribe there. You can donate there. Um, if you, like John, want to have me come and speak to a group, I will come and speak to your group because I think part of it is just getting people aware. So um, they can connect with me through there. They can sign up there. They can read posts there from my last trip that I'm just about caught up with. And next up, I'm going to start talking about these learnings. But I just didn't, when you're on the road, and I'm just watching. I hadn't gotten far enough that I can start to synthesize mm -hmm. the knowledge, mm -hmm. you know. So, so and I so have thank you. You know, you're very welcome. And I have links to everything that we talked about and whatever Carolyn sends me after the fact there. Uh, so, thank you, thank you so much for having this conversation. Well, John, I just want to say it's always, always a pleasure to be in connection with you and thank you for having me on today. So I love what you're up to and um, thank you for, you know, joining me on this journey of giving people a third, fourth, fifth and sixth option. You're so welcome. I, I don't, yeah. I, like I said to you, when you, at the end of your talk, I want to be involved in some way and I have no idea what that looks like. Cause I don't see myself traveling, but I don't know. So, so today just, you are <laughs> right now you did. I just want to say right now you did. Okay. So this is going to go out on my website. This is going to go out to my people. Right. right. So yeah. all of a sudden you are now part of it. Wait. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Alrighty. I will talk to you soon. Okay. 
Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates.